Welcome back for another week. This week we'll do Parak Ted Zion of Shoftim. Our learning is dedicated to Ibu Yenishvat Rifkut Yaakov Alevi, Lucy Maya, and Rina D. Our sp- full sponsors for the year, Ayomi and Yitzi Hallander, complete refuah for all Cholim, Michelle and Gary Friedman in memory of Hanamalka Bad David, and refuah Shlema for Rachel, Miriam, Hinda, Bas, Miriam, Rivka. Our half-year sponsor, anonymously, refuah Shlema for Nucha Tova, Bat Shoshana Chava, Devora. Uh, our Spotify for the year to make it easier to walk with the prophets while driving. And a refuslema for you to be high, but a view of the Chaya, Bracha, Vigalvas, Rafukito, Tilapatia, Bachaya Tova, Shimon, Ben Elko, Shalom, and Chaya, Sarah, and Shadokhan for all those in need. Okay. This week, it's it's a little bit of a, um, it's a little bit anticlimactic to me. It's a little bit tough because we are, we're saying goodbye to Shimshon. Part of me is actually relieved. Uh, for Prakim on Shimshon, he's not a simple figure to understand, and therefore, um, to be able to say we did our best and we're moving on to a new story, a new person is is something that, on the one hand, is relieving. On the other hand, um, I think that we spent so much time with Shimshon, it's hard to say goodbye, and it's hard to really want to know did we do quite the job that we wanted to do with it. Um, so I hope, I hope today that we'll be able to um, put together and get and and tie up some of the loose ends um, and the loose threads of our story of Shimshon so far. But beforehand, I have to go back. I have to go back to the previous parak just for a loose end that really struck me um, as pretty uh, as pretty interesting. So it's it's Shabbos Shuvale. Shabbos, I'm sitting in shul, and the rabbi is uh, is giving his drasha. It's a beautiful drasha, and really enjoying. And all of a sudden, he quotes a chazal. It's a Gemara in Yuma, which interestingly enough is quoted by Rashi on in Zosabracha. And yet, having learned that Rashi for years in Shnai Mikra, it never resonated with me. Probably because I had never learned Perek Tet Vav of Shoftim at the very same time. And with both of them happening in, in my head at the same time, it really was quite a, quite a question it left me with. So Rashi says, that The base of English was built in a high area. We know that. But it is not the highest area in the land of Israel. It's high, but not highest. The highest area is 23 Amot higher, which is Ein Eitam. And David had the thought to build it there. Now, if you remember back to, to last week, you remember the picture that's on the screen right now. And that is the, uh, the Google image or the Google map of Eitam. Where we said it's if you look at uh Efrat carefully, that is where Etam is, it's to the right of uh of Efrat. So the question really becomes is there a connection? Shimshon goes to Ain Etam. The base of English was not built at this point in time. The Mishkan was still in Shiloh, and yet Shimshon runs away to Etam, which is the place that David had thought to build the Beit Mikdash. And it's only because God says to him, no, that the Beit HaMikdash is supposedly between the shoulders. The shoulders are not the highest point of the human body. It's the head. The, the Mishkan and the Beit HaMikdash are supposed to be lower than the highest point in Israel. And that's why it's not in Ein Eitam, but it is in Har Arabayit, whatever you want to call it, where we built the Beit HaMikdash. So here it is that uh, Rav Bagno is quoting this Chazal. And uh, he quoted it in a very different context. But after, after Shabbos, I sent him a message saying, do you think that there's a connection between this Chazal and the fact that Shimshon ends up in Ein Eitam? Now, one possibility is just a practical reason. Why does he go to Ein Eitam? Remember, he is in the area of Beit Shemesh. If you're running away from Beit Shemesh, you're going to go away from the coast. That's where the Plishtim have their stronghold. And where are you going to move? You're going to move yourself farther inland. So you're going to take one of the paths. If you're in Beit Shemesh and you want to get to uh, Yerushalayim, there's the one, but there's several other paths that you can take, several highways, little one-lane 
roads uh, that you can take. And one of them will take you to Efrat, or maybe actually more than one will take you to Efrat. It could be that it's just closer. It's practical. And on top of that, a tam has an ain, has a spring, so there's going to be water. Chances are if there's water, there will also be vegetation, so there'll be food. And you can see from the way it's built, it's a fortress, a man-made, a God-made fortress in the side of a mountain. So Shimshon finds himself pretty safe. And so the question is, is that actually the reason why he goes there? Or is perhaps there a deeper reason? So when I asked it to Rabbi uh, Rabakno, he answered me saying, So that, to me, that gave me the sense of, okay, this is actually legitimately a, a fair possibility. So I want to share with you a piece by Rav Kook quickly. And with that, try to suggest my own answer as to why he ends up in Eitam. So he says, Kook writes that Eitam is the highest point in the land of Israel. And the thought by David and Shmuel was, hmm, that's a good place to build the Beit HaMikdash. The, the shoulder area is the prize place on a cow, on an axe. And so therefore, that's where it should be. Not above. And so it turns out that Einetam retains its place as just Chol. Now it's got Kedusha Eretz Yisrael. But it doesn't have the kedusha of the mikdash. I will bait that tefillah the kohen gadol biyoma kipurim mahadra maya meaning tam. Interestingly, that the bait that tefillah the mikvah that the kohen gadol used on Yom Kippur, its water source was ene tam. The water was drawn from ene tam through a channel that went all the way to the mikdash. Interesting. Vehi be'aliyah bait haparva shebana parva amigusha. And who and where did it go? That mikvah was in Beta Parva, which was built by Parva, who was Parva Amagusha. He was a he was a uh, sorcerer. So you have the holiest day of the year with the holiest person, the Kohen Gadol, going into the holiest place, the Kodesh Hakadoshim, and he's getting his water from Einetam, which is a place that had the potential clearly, in David and Shmuel's minds, to be the Beit HaMikdash. And yet, where is he going? Where is his mikvah? His mikvah is in Beit HaParva, which is built by Parva Amagusha, a sorcerer, the lowliest of people. What is going on here? Says Rav Kook. Such a beautiful answer. It should not be surprising that Rav Kook would say something like this. He says that what is the purpose? The purpose is to teach us an amazing lesson. On Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, you might think that it is a day that belongs to the holiest people that can go to the holiest places. But he says, no, you could have someone like Parva, Amagusha, this low guy, and yet he is Zohari, part of the process. And it made me think that there's two possible ways to view this. Either Shimshon goes to Etam, assuming that it's not just strategic. Shemshon goes to Eitam because he feels, whoa, this is a holy place. This is the place that has the potential to be the Makom HaMikdash. There is a concept, the Torah says we don't hold by it, but there was a concept in the general world, and it still exists to this day, that holy places are a sanctuary. So if I'm nervous, I'm a murderer, I'm a thief, I'm a something... I go onto the property of a church or something like that, and I'm going to find myself there getting sanctuary. So one possibility is Shimshon is saying, I know that this is a mikdash, it's a place of sanctuary. And it doesn't turn out that way because the Jews are willing to turn him over from there. That's one possibility. But the other possibility is more along the lines of a book. It's really meant to express the, the dialectic that exists in Shimshon. It's the conflict, the tension of two opposites that are both true. Shimshon is this incredibly holy person. And Shimshon, on the other hand, is an incredibly, seemingly unholy person. It's that tension 
that sort of exists in a tam that's connected to the mikdash by means of beta parva. It could be. And it could be that that's really the message that Shimshon's generation needs to know, is that there's this tension that you're the holy people, you're the chosen people, but not really living up to that. You're the holy people, you're good people, but mm, not really where we're supposed to be. And so I think that that's an interesting introduction because we are about to embark on the last parak, and I think the last parak is certainly the one that is fraught with the most difficulty, the biggest questions. But again, I do hope that when it's all over, we'll have a better understanding of uh, of Shimshon in general. So let's let's take one last look at Shimshon. Pasuk Aleph. So Shimshon goes to Azza. Now Azza, we don't have a map in front of us, but Azza is all the way in the coast, like Gaza Strip. Think there. He goes to the heart of the Plishti land, and he sees there a prostitute, maybe, and he comes to her. So there's two ways that the Mepharshim look at this. The Ralbag, not surprisingly, and the Radak, which seem consistent, they said the same thing by Yiftach's mom as well. They say, what does it mean that she's a Zona? You probably could already guess. What is she? She is a Isha Kunditihika. She is a uh, woman who has a an inn. He finds an innkeeper, and he comes to her. Now, that's a hard read. It's a hard read because generally when we have the words um, it means that he, he, he had relations with her. So if he's going to an innkeeper's uh, house or her, her hotel, he's not going to sleep with her. That's not really consistent with cleaning up the story. So that's, that is uh, the Ralbag. That is the, um, the Radak. It is the opinion of the Malbim and the Abar Benel that no, she is a, she's a prostitute. And the Abar Benel says, this is Shimshon's undoing. Shimshon, full, his eyes lead him in a certain way, and he goes after his passions. The Gemara even goes so far to say that because Shimshon was nichshah, he, he, he sinned with his eyes, it is with his eyes that he gets punished, and what happens at the end of the story? His eyes are poked out. Okay. Just in case you're, you're like me, you like to cause a little bit of trouble. I did look at the art scroll because the art scroll has a way of turning stories sometimes a little bit more PG than they are. And the art scroll says that she is a prostitute by Laha and he consorted with her. So just even the art scroll here does not say it's interesting by Rachav. I checked there to see what happens because he also an Isha Zona. It says she's an innkeeper. So it's clear that art scroll is willing to say Rachav is here, but this story doesn't seem that way. So what happens? So the people of Azza hear that Shimshon has appeared there. They circle his house. They lay in ambush all night long by the gate of the city. We're going to wait till the morning and we're going to kill him. Um, I have a, a, a friend in West Hempstead who his job is, uh, is a little bit tricky. I'm still not exactly sure what he does. But there is a security piece, a little bit of a police piece to what he does. And his advice always is that if you, the, the time to go to places like that, if you, if you want to go to a, a dangerous place, a compromising situation, you go towards the very, very, very end of the night, the beginning of the morning. Why? Because the worst people, drug dealers and that really hardcore criminals, they might work till two, three, four in the morning, but usually by five o'clock, everything has settled down. The night is over. And as the day begins for everybody else, they go into their shadows. So it makes perfect sense. Here it is. 
Shimshon is your foe. Wait till the early, early morning. And that's when, at the first light, you're going to go kill him. As he's most vulnerable. Shimshon sleeps until midnight. He gets up in the middle of the night. Uh, interesting. There are so many similarities here, different stories, but it's, uh, it's a Yitzias Mitzrayim reference here. That's a point that Rabbi Weiss makes. And he picks up the Dalto Chara'ir, the doors of the city, and the door posts. And he carries them with the Briach, the, uh, I believe that's the, the post on top, maybe the lintel. on his shoulders. And he takes it all the way to Hebron, which is many, 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 many miles from there, to the top of the mountain by Hebron. I guess they're surprised in the morning when they don't find Shimshon, but the door is missing. And then they look out towards the hills of Hebron, and they see that there. Now you can't, there's no way to see what Shara'ir looks like in Aza. But apparently there's a really nice Shara'ir that still exists in Ashkelon. So it could be that in, uh, in two and a half years time, or a little bit less, when we, uh, when we do our tour, it could be that we'll end up in Ashkelon to see what that door is, to have a better appreciation of, uh, of what Shimshon's uh, feet looked like. So what's the, uh, what's the oldest possible? So it's interesting. The, uh, Remember, in his safer says, I don't have it's not hard for me to understand the Pasuk Kipshuto. She's a prostitute. And to see that this is the beginning of his downfall, because she's so because from this prostitute, from the one night stand with the prostitute in Aza, what happens? He he ends up in the lap of Delilah. But the Ralbag, you could also, he says, why does he go to this innkeeper? Shimshon goes to the city, and this is, would be the difference between going to a hotel and going to a prostitute. Generally, when a person goes to a prostitute, it's something that they don't want people to know. It's done on the QT, as we would say it. It's meant to be done quietly. Nobody knows. And so when Shimsho goes, what, what really is happening here is Shimsho wants, according to the first explanation, nobody knows he's there. But the other explanation, the Remmer is saying, if you understand the Ralbag, Shimsho goes there and he wants it to be known he's there because he wants to see what will the reaction be. Do I create enough fear in the people of Aza that they won't attack the Jewish people? So it's a different way of looking at it. Okay, yesh v'yesh. Let's take a look at uh, an interesting question. Who are some other zonotes? Other prostitutes that we know in our in our stories that we've learned either together or in some of our, our learning of Tanakh. So by now, I hope that you've had a little bit of a chance to think about it. Obviously, the troubling story of Judah and Tamar, Yehuda and Tamar, Tamar, in this picture, she is dressed up as a, uh, her face is covered, she's wearing red and other colors. She is supposed to be, she, she, disguises herself as a prostitute. And of course, we have the story of Rachel and the spies as well. What's interesting, though, is the following. This Zona, we don't hear a word from her. All we know is that he is in her house and Vayavoyla. Was there a conversation? Did he ask her anything? Yehuda and Tamar, there's the back and forth, there's the Give me collateral, otherwise I won't come with you. With Rachav and the spies, she she gives them information. 
there is absolute silence here. The question is, why is that? Ravigal Ariel says it's important to understand that the, the lady, the zona, is simply a placeholder. She really doesn't have any value other than she's important to the story because she explains why Shimshon, where Shimshon is and does everything that he does subsequently. But she doesn't matter as a person and her being there is simply a means to an end. She's not part of the end itself. Okay, so he grabs the, the door he puts it on top of his shoulders and he carries it. And I think there's two questions that beg to be asked at this point in time. Number one is, why does it take him so far? I would think if he grabbed the doors of the city and just carried them two miles away and dropped them on the nearest mountaintop, wouldn't that have been enough? Wouldn't that have given the message to the people of the city like, whoa, don't mess with Shimshon. This guy, he's he's the real deal. That's question number one. Number two is why the doors? Why does it he can take a window? Windows are smaller, but yet significant. Maybe a big window. Why both doors? Why does he have to take the whole door frame and everything with? Those are those are my two questions. So I want to share with you an idea by Rav Yigalario. They were afraid of Shimshon. Okay? They were afraid of direct conflict with Shimshon. But they said, listen, he's trapped in there. He is in the city of Aza. We've got it circled. It's got thick walls, big doors. They're like, we've got it. We just need the, the ambush to be set. We're going to win. So no, below What does Shimshon do? Before they're really set, Shimshon leaves, takes the doors, the, the, the doors on his shoulders and walks away. And he goes to Hebron. So why the doors? Why Hebron? Says Rav Yigal Mishamatzivat Adelat Vasharu Koveda Baluta Lamakol. Who owns a place? Person that has control of the door. Case of a Chazkah came from Nalo Gadar Oparatz and Noel who a Kovea Mikanes Pnima Matay. If I have the key to the door and I control who comes in and who comes out, that gives me ownership of the place. Falkein Hu Abalim. Shimshon Lochi pays at Hatalto Bilvat. The one thing he was looking to save himself. He could have jumped out a window and run away. He didn't just break through the door like the Incredible Hulk. He lifted the door off of its post. He left. He left a hole there. Why? To say that I am the master. I am the master of the city. Tens of kilometers from Aza. He wants to hint about the fact that the end, the downfall of the Plishtim will come from Hebron. What happens? It is David HaMelech who ultimately will rid the Jewish people of the yoke of the Plishtim. And therefore, he, put, he goes all the way to Hebron to hint that that is where David is going to come. Okay. That's a lot. While Pnei Chevron, though, there's an interesting idea also. Um, the um, the Ralbag says, actually, you're all, all Otsem Gurato. It's not really meant to hint at anything other than 
he went a really far distance, says the Ralbach. And by going this far distance and carrying it all the way to Hebron, the people are like, wow, Shimshon carried this 30, 40, 50, 60 kilometers. This is a guy that is superhuman strength. You don't want to mess with him. Okay? And that is the Ralbach. Okay. Let's move on to our next story. Pasuk Dalit. I know that we've spent most of our time and we've only done three psukim. Afterwards, he loves a woman. Nachal Sorek. And what's her name? Her name is Delila. The Delila story is really hard to understand. It's a tricky one. So first off, the name Delila and Shimshon. So interesting. Never thought about this. Rabbi Alex Israel points out Delila. From Laila, from dark, Shimshon, from Shemesh, from light. There's obviously a contrast between the two of them. Delila represents darkness, and Shimshon represents light. But Shimshon's light is a little bit tricky, and Delila's darkness is a little tricky also. So let's try to understand Delila a little bit better. So, he loves this woman, Benachal Sorek. Nachal Sorek. Where is Nachal Sorek? Again, my favorite website, Hatanach. This over here is Jai's Tzaran Eshta'o. In case you want perspective, if you know the area of, uh, of Beit Shemesh, Eshta'o right over there is Ikea. Tzara is by the big mall. Beit Shemesh is all of this over here. Nachal Sorek is that away. Okay, it's that away. It's deeper into the area of Yehuda. That might be significant. Now, he loves the woman. Now, he didn't love the woman, the Isha Zonah. could say that it was passion. Even the first lady that he wants, what happens? And then he comes to his parents and says, Take her for a wife. But he, he doesn't say that he loves her. He says, She's good in my eyes. What does it mean He's good. she's good in his eyes? Maybe it's just practical. She's going to get him what he wants. But he falls for Delilo. He loves her. The question is, does she love him back? That's a really hard question. She loves me. She loves me not. Shimshon might struggle with that question also. But we should be struggling with that question as we read the psukim. But the bigger question I think we have to note first is, who is this woman? So not shocking, the Raul Bag says, She's a plishti woman. It would appear to me that she converted first. He would never have married a girl that did not convert. So yes, her starting point is that she's not Jewish, but she becomes Jewish. Now you can question the authenticity. What is her motivation behind converting? Yeah, she might not be converting because she loves Judaism. She might be taken by Shimshon and knows that she has to convert, otherwise he will marry her. But that is that is a certainly a possibility. The Malbim says, She did not convert. The first one, she converted and she changed her name. She gave herself a nice Jewish name. This one, She was Dalila. She was not Jewish till the very end. And he points out, that in Timna, he actually marries her. There's the 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 Lashon of Lakach. We don't have that by Delila. But I, I found an interesting thought by Ravigal Ariel. And he says it's possible. We're going to see in the next pasuk that she gets offered a ridiculous amount of money, ridiculous amount of money to get to to get Shimshon, and so it's possible that she's an Anjou and she falls for this offer. It's a lot of money, and she can't sing. 
It is possible that she's also a Jew. She's a Jew, but the promise of such unbelievable riches is something that she just can't turn down. That's possible also. Not sure which one, but I think that it's possible that the reason why you can argue that she's Jewish is she's in that house so rake. The Plishtim were largely to the coast, to the left, to the west of Tzaranesh not deeper in to the east. Now, in case you're wondering where Nachal Sorek is, Nachal Sorek is along the highway that takes you to Nes Harim and eventually to, to Yerushalayim. I, I was trying to catch the bus to Yerushalayim a week and a half ago, and I, uh, I had a meeting that I had to get to. And it was 8.12 in the morning, and I'm running to the bus stop, and uh, I see there's a 6.30 bus, as opposed to a 600 bus. And I'm thinking, all buses that start in 6 will get me to Yerushalayim. And there's a big sign up in Yanei Umam, thinking, wow, this is amazing. I got to get on this bus. It's three minutes earlier than the 8.15 bus. I get on the bus, and the bus driver says to me, uh, it's a 6.30. Yeah, you can see how good my Hebrew is. Lo, sheish meot. And I was like, no, nah, it's fine, it's fine. So I sit down, and all of a sudden, we're going, we're, we're doing what I think we're supposed to do, and then we make a turn, and we go some other places. We ended up taking this side route all the way to, through Nachal Sorek, through Neis Harim, through Hadassah Karim. It was an hour and 40-minute bus ride, as opposed to uh, an hour bus ride. Gorgeous, beautiful. Thank God my meeting was uh, postponed. Otherwise, I would have been very late. But yeah. It's a beautiful area, but it's deeper into the area of Yehuda. Why? That would make it a reasonable argument that she's Jewish. So let's take a look at Pasuk Hay. I know, we got a lot to do so. The Sarnei Plishtim. Now, Dr. Eli Tzur and Dr. Mikra says it's not really the actual five rulers of the Plishti cities, but they send their messengers, and they say, Pati Oto, we want you to draw out, seduce him. How is he so strong? Let us know so that we could tie him up and we could hurt him. And each one of us will give us, will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Five times 1,100, 5, pieces of silver. It's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. But So she says to him, you know, listen, Shimshon, what's the deal? How are you so strong? What can I do to, to take away your strength? Now, some of the Mepharshim are bothered by this. Like, what is going on here? They're, they're, maybe they're married. Maybe they're not married. Maybe they're just in a serious relationship. Maybe he is love-struck. He's fallen, love at first sight. But even so, it's like so weird. Like, what can I do to hurt you? But they say she's saying it's flirtatious. You know, like, what's your what's your kryptonite? I want to know. What's your weakness? We're, we're, we're in love. You got to tell me all of your secrets. I want to know. So says that if you tie me up with seven moist twines, twines are ropes that are intertwined with each other. They're still moist. They haven't dried out. So they're stronger. Once they're dried out, you could, you could picture the dry rope is not as strong anymore because it's been, been baked in the sun. If you do that, I'll be like an acharadam. I'll be like a regular person. He was supposed to be he was supposed to be the one. And now he says, if you do this to me, I will be acharadam. I'll just be like everyone else. The Sarnei Plishtim, the governors are there, and they bring her these seven twines. And she ties him up. Which is also weird. Could you imagine? She's like, hey, 
you said this, let's see what happens. So she ties him up. Now, does she tie him up with his knowledge, without his knowledge? I don't know. And the Orev, the ambushers, ambushers are in the other room. And so it happens. She says, And he breaks them apart. He snaps the twines apart. It's like a linen thread that catches fire that's highly flammable and will burn up in a sack. He had not told her. He had not revealed what his strength was. Ah. So that's that's the first one. Oh, come on. It's not right what you did. You're making fun of me. But the bear likes Savim, you're telling me lies. Please tell me what I can tie you up with. She is nagging him and saying, Shimshon, if you really love me, you'll tell me. If you tie me up in brand new ropes, brand new ropes, I will be like, I'll be weakened and like everybody else. She goes and gets the ropes. This time she's the one that has to go to the store. She's going to Home Depot to pick it up. And she ties him up. Interestingly, the Plishti governors are gone this time. And the ambushers are next door. And he snaps them off just like instead of it being avotim, ropes, he snaps them off like thread. So you can imagine how frustrated she is. Come on. How much are you going to make fun of me? It's very like Savim. Tell me, please, what I can tie you up with. He says to him, I have seven locks of hair. If you weave my locks into a loom or into a weaving rod, if you were to do that, my strength would be gone. She connected the um, the loom to the ground with a tent peg, so it's really firmly rooted in the ground. He gets up from his, his sleep. Now, this time, it does not tell us that the Orev is there. But the Katsmishnato it's the first time he goes to sleep. Now, even though he lied, because he is able to take, he pulls the peg of the loom. He pulls the whole thing out of the ground. And he's running out of the room with this big loom in his head. But he trusts her. And he goes to sleep. The first two times, he's sitting there and she's like, hey, you're tied up. Let's try this. Push them right here. And he run, he rips it out. But this is the first time he goes to sleep. But the ambushers are even gone. They give up hope. The Plishti governors, they give up hope already after the first time. This is a waste of our time. But the ambushers are like, hey, listen, you know what? Maybe there's something in it for us. Or, listen, we're just, we're low-level people. They're the governors. The governors don't have to stay. But we will get it court-martialed if we leave. By time number three, they're like, listen, the governors are gone. We're not going to be able to do this. They go home. And yet, she continues to go at it. Why? Why does she go after it so much? How can you say you love me? Now, he's smitten by her. So you could imagine how many times he says, Oh, Dalila, you're the love of my life. Dalila, here are these flowers. I got them for you. Why? Because I love you so much. She says, really? You love me? If your heart really was with me, why could why would you mock me three times? And you're not telling me what your real strength is. So she goes, she bothers him. And she nags at him for days. But she torments him. 
Rashi says, It's like you can't even imagine. Nothing like it. He wanted to die. That is how painful it was. What is going on here? The Gemara actually fills in the blanks a little bit. The Gemara, and, and this will give us an, a window into who Shimshon is. Remember, Shimshon is a person that is pulled by his eyes. And Shimshon is a person that is pulled by his passions. Shimshon craves, he desires the woman in Timnah. His parents can't convince him otherwise. He craves the prostitute. Nothing is going to stop him by Yavoyla. And he loves the leader. Someone like that is very easy to manipulate, says the Gemara. The Gemara says this is exactly what you this is exactly what she would do. They would be in, in bed, and he would be with her. And at the moment that he was ready, she would pull out. And Shimshon was tormented. He he wanted to complete the act, and she would stop. And this happened over and over and over again. But Tiktarna Sholamuti wanted to die. Finally, he tells her everything in his heart. She knows I want. I want. He says to her, A, a, a razor has never touched my hair. I am a Nazir mi If you were to shave my head, cut my hair, I would lose my strength and vayite kochol adam. Not kiachad adam. Kiachad adam, you could read like any man or like the one man. Kiachad shivkei yisrael dan yadin amo. To be alluding to that, or here he's saying, I'll be like everyone else. There are those that say the reason why she knew that he told the truth was because he said God's name. He wouldn't have said God's name otherwise. Now this should show you something. The fact is that Shimshon was not that all the pictures that we've shown, all the pictures that have been painted throughout time. Shimshon is not this massive gym rat with huge muscles because if he was, they would have known that Shimshon was this superhuman guy with superhuman strength. Rather, Shimshon looked like everyone else. And they were trying to search out what is different about him. And apparently his hair being his source of strength did not seem to be enough. She knew that she got the truth out of him. But she started to cry the start name please Shimlay more go up Pam Kigidla Kigidli Ekolibo he told me everything I know he's telling the truth By the way last time they pushed him by by Alua Kesapi Adam the Sarney pushed him come and they bring the money with them She's not stupid she knows that she wants to get paid bring the money with him she calls them all back But Yashnei will be Rakha some of the paintings Really, they they nail it. He sleeps with his head in her lap. And she called the man maybe to bring the um, to bring the scissors, and she cut his locks. And what happens? She neutralizes him. And he has no strength left. But I told her, Plish them alecha, Shimshon. Shimshon, the Plish them are here. Vaikats, Mishnatova, Yomer, I take a pam, be pam. I'm going to go out like normally, Vaina air. And he wakes up. Kulo Yadak, Yashem, Sarmi Alav. He did not know that God had left him. He did not know that he had no strength left. Vayochazu, Plish them, the Plish them. They grab him, they seize him. What do they do? Vaina Kruate Nav. They blind him. They bring him down to Aza, their stronghold. And they, they put him in jail. And he has a tochein. 
He walks in a circle all day long, grind, turning the millstone, grinding. The Mepharshim, or the Gemara rather, offers a different explanation. That in jail, the Pelishim actually have him sleep with multiple women. Why? Because they want him to be the, it's like the, the racehorse that uh, they know. Sky one. Got one multiple uh, multiple uh, races, maybe a triple crown winner. So they go and they have him impregnate many, many, many other horses. Why? Because the hope is that he's going to give some of his strength to another horse, and that one will win the races. That's how it works. It's no different. Flesh and we're hoping to breed a superhuman army of strong men that would attack the Jews. It came from. Shimshon. What's the deal with Shimshon? What, what is going on here? And how do we understand this story with Dalila? It is so weird. So bizarre, so strange. So I'll give you several answers. The first answer is an answer for Rabadin Steinzalt. It's a Sefer. I bought biblical images in Hakol uh, Sefer in uh, in in, uh, in upstate New York, can't remember where, what the name of the place is. It's great, safer. Um, Rav Steinzaltz writes the following. He says that there are two ways that you can share the message of God with the Jewish people. Through words is the more common way or through action. Normally, we send the Navi, the Navi comes, the Navi gives a message to the Jewish people. You're not doing the right thing. You've messed up. Mend your ways. And the Jewish people mend their ways. Or not. But the Jewish people had sunk to such a low level that God says, you know what? I don't think it's going to work anymore. He sends someone who has strength. Someone whose actions will guide the Jewish people. And so he sends Shimshon. That's where Steinzeltz's answer. Rebag Zizel offers another possibility. He says, you know, if you think about it, if you look through the Torah, and then you look through history, the Jewish people, idolatry and adultery, kind of go hand in hand. In hand. I might commit idolatry because I want adultery, meaning I don't really care to bow down to this idol, but the woman who I want to sin with, she says, I, I won't do it unless you believe in my gods. And so countless Jews were willing to succumb to idolatry because of adultery. And the Torah even says, it uses the Lashon of Lotizneh, Zona, Tizneh, to go astray is both adultery and idolatry. But Alex Israel says, perhaps that's really what's going on with Shimshon. Shimshon looks for love in all the wrong places. He's looking for for a woman that will like him. He could love. And so he finds all these wrong women. But he says maybe Shimshon is actually so enigmatic because he is really kind of reflective of what the Jewish people are. The Jewish people are God's chosen people. God has chosen us from birth, just like Shimshon. And yet they say, I know, but I'm looking for love in a different place. They look for it in all the wrong places, find all the wrong people. That's the second possible answer. A third answer is an answer of Rabbi, of Rabbi Dr. Yonatan Grossman. He offered this answer, Rabbi Alex Israel says, in jest, but I think there's a lot to this. So imagine being Shimshon. Shimshon is this strong kid. Everybody goes out to play in the yard. They pull themselves up on the monkey bars. He pulls up on the monkey bars and he breaks the monkey bars. He takes the dodgeball and he throws it. And little Timmy is out of school for three days with a broken arm. Shimshon is, he just doesn't fit in. And when someone makes a birthday party, they're like, mom, invite everybody. Not Shimshon. He's going to ruin my party. He's going to sit on the bench and he's going to break it. Or whatever he's going to do, he's going to ruin it. I don't want him there. It just doesn't fit. 
what Shimshon is saying is he's looking at Dalila. Maybe that's why he's willing to give away his secrets. He's saying, I just want you to love me for who I am. Why are you all afraid of me? Why don't any of you like me? That's a third possible answer. And he says, maybe that is actually what he says in his riddle at the very beginning. He says, The lion looks scary. The lion looks dangerous. But really, the lion is just a softy. It's just a sweetie. That's all it really is. That's a possible answer. Three possible answers. But I want to share with you one one last answer. It's the answer of, of Michael Hatton. And he says, all of Shimshon's answers to Dalila, they all have something in common. It says, tie me up with twine. Tie me up with rope. Take my hair. Of course, the last one, and put it in the loom. And of course, the last one, cut my hair. What do they all have in common? What's the thread that ties them? It's actually the idea of threads. And Shimshon tells even people of Yehuda, tie me up in ropes. Ropes are a bunch of threads that are tied together. It looks like hair. Shimshon is trying to tell them. It's in my hair. There's patterns in Shimshon's life. He killed 30, 300 foxes, 1,000 dead, 3,000 plishtim, three women, these multiples. What do they have to all do with each other? Michael hadn't suggested the following. Shimshon was given a mission. His mission that he was probably told from birth is, you're the one. You're going to judge the Jewish people. You are going to save the Jewish people. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is. You know what Shimshon is saying, says Rabbi Michael Hatton? I don't want to accept this mission. I'm not interested. Yes, imagine, instead of 300 foxes, you would have taken the 3,000 Jews of Yehuda. Imagine how much more successful he could have been. Imagine what he could have done to the Plisha. Maybe he could have neutralized them. Not just pushed them back. He could have defeated them. He could have done what David did. He just doesn't want this job. You know what Shimshon seeks more than anything else? He wants to tell someone, this is my job. This is my mission. This is what God has told me I have to do. But he can't. It's just too hard. He loves Delila. They can't tell her straight out. So he hints, he said, gives it his twines. Look at the edges of the twine. Maybe, maybe that will send you the message. It's too abstract. The ropes, too abstract. My hair in the loom, still not getting it. And he finally says, this here, Lukim, is my hair. My hair is what makes me who I am. Shimshon is not only coming out and telling her what it is, but he's saying, relieve me of my burden. When you cut my hair for the first time in my life, I won't need to worry about this mission because I'll no longer be capable of accomplishing this. Could you imagine the, chim- the burden that Chimshon carries on his shoulders for his entire life? You're the one that's going to save the Jewish people. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one. To be chosen, but not to want to be chosen is really hard. And Shimshon says, relieve me, save me. It is late, and we have still have to finish the parrot, and we have to learn the la- lessons, but we'll do it quickly. So, his hair began to sprout back. There was a big party for Dagon. Dagon, their God. We won. Shimshon has been given by our God in our hands. Shimshon, the enemy, the one that took us down, 
he's finally conquered by Gitoli Bam, and when their hearts are full, probably of wine, by Yomru Kirle Shimshon Visachekvanu. Bring out Shimshon. Let's play with him. By Kirle Shimshon Visachekvanu. Bring out Shimshon Visachekvanu. They put him between the pillars, and what do they do? They make fun of him. They probably hit him and beat him, and there's nothing he could do. He can't even see. He turns to this little kid next to him. Imagine the great Shimshon. He's at a point where what is he has to He turns to the Nar next to him and says, Guide me. Put my hands in the right place. And I'm going to hold on to the walls. And the, the house is full. He's got a full house, men, women. The governors, three thousand spectators watching from the rafters. By Krashim Shon El Hashem, by Omar, Hashem Elokim Zachreina, Echazkeina, Achapamaze, by Elokim. Give me my strength back one time. And let me get one the vengeance of one of my eyes back. But Alex Israel points out that this is a. They turn this into a song. And at the height of the uh, second intifada in the two thousands, they would play this song in bar mitzvahs. He, he pushes hard on these two pillars. These are the pillars that hold up the house. He pushes on his right and his left. He says, "I'm willing to die with the plishtim." The whole house falls down. He brings the house down. And he kills more people in his death than his lifetime. He's buried between Tzara and Eshtaol, in the grave of Manoach, he judged the Jews for 20 years. We probably can go another half hour just in these Pesukim alone. But he brings the house down. What are the lessons learned from Shimshon? Shimshon feels bound and he wants to be unbound. We have that in life. We feel sometimes that Torah and Mitzvot and everything we have, it, it restrains us. It contains us. He wants to say, God, just give me an out. I don't want this. Yet in the end, when it all, when he's when his hair begins to sprout back, he realizes actually boundaries are a good thing. He says, God, give me my strength back one more time. And perhaps it's a message that not only applies to Shimshon, and it certainly applies to the generation that he lived in who wanted to have no boundaries. But boundaries are a good thing. And perhaps it's even, it's even a message for us. Sometimes we think, why? Why are there so many restrictions? But the restrictions are not restrictions. And as Siva Shalom says, that the 613 mitzvahs are not do's and don'ts. But there are 613 ways that we can connect up with God. 613 avenues to reach God. That's one lesson learned. But there's another lesson learned. He operates alone. He's so lonely. The loneliest of all the leaders of the Jewish people. And yet in the end, the very end, as he dies, what happens? The Jewish people come to save him and they bring him to be buried. Bring the house down. I want to share with you a beautiful snippet of a song that some of you might be familiar with. Are you ready to bring the house down? You almost imagined Freed sings this song, Bring the House Down, about the idea of what's going to be in the coming of Mashiach. Perhaps that's the sad part of Shimshon. If Shimshon had done what he was supposed to do, if Shimshon had followed the rules and the script and everything that God had given him, he could have taken the Jewish people that were in such a lowly place and uplifted them. 
And in uplifting them, he would have been uplifted himself, and the sky is the limit. But instead, instead of bringing that house down, instead of bringing the, the, the mikdash and shleimut and wholeness of the Jewish people, he brings the house down and replished it. It's a sad and far distant second place. Unfortunately, the stories will only get worse as we continue next week. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Have a wonderful week and keep walking in the ways of the prophet.